I'm sorry, Psalm 95, not chapter. I said last week that the Psalms are collections of songs. They are not chapters, so I apologize for saying that. Psalm 95 this morning. So what we want to look at today is uh, uh, sometimes we... I think we lose sight of the significance of what we are doing uh, in these moments when we are lifting up our voices together and singing to God. Uh, and that is exactly what Psalm 95 is talking about, the, the significance of the body of Christ and the reason why we do this uh, as we come together collectively as the church. And as we've, talked about, uh, we've talked before about the fact that worship is not necessarily something that, that uh, uh, you, you can worship anywhere. You don't have to be here to worship. You you don't have to uh, be with other people to worship. You can worship on your own when you're at home, when you're at work, when you're driving in your car. The interactions you have with other people, whatever you're doing, you have the opportunity to worship God. Worship is ultimately about where you personally stand be, before God, your, the disposition of your heart. Uh, that is what worship is about Uh in, in its foundation is where your heart stands in relation to God and the aim of your heart uh, in relation to God is the aim of my heart to, to glorify God in all things is the aim of my heart even when I make a mistake or I, I mess up or I, I you know say something to somebody that I shouldn't have said is my aim then to deal with the situation so that I can be pleasing to God is my, is my aim in whatever situation it is that I would uh, do whatever I can to rectify this or to aim this at God's glory. In, in, uh, in that, then I have the opportunity to worship God individually. Uh, so again, worship at its foundation is about the disposition of your heart in relation to God. Do you recognize God? Do you recognize who He is, the value of who He is? And then uh, as you recognize the truth of who He is, what is revealed about Him uh, the nature of who he is, his holiness, his creative power, everything that we see, that God is the creator of all things. When I recognize those things, then, does my heart truly value him based on what I know of him? Now, some of us would, uh, some of us know more about who God is than others, that simply for the reason that some of us have been saved for decades and some people have been saved for a week, right? So there are different places that our heart are, our hearts are in, in relation to God. There are different places we are in our spiritual journey. But the point is, what I know about God, if it's true, if I have pursued a knowledge of God that is true, do I take that knowledge then and then value it in my heart? That's where Jesus, he talked with the woman at the well. Uh, you know, she was talking about how, uh, you know, your people say we're supposed to worship over here and our people say we worship on this mountain. And Christ said that there would be a time that comes when uh, nobody worships here or there, but the Father's looking for those who would worship Him in spirit and truth. So that's what that means. Simply to worship God in spirit and truth is to take truth of God that has been revealed to you, truth of God that you have pursued, truth of God that you know, and value that uh, in your heart. That my heart would be bowed before that, that my heart would take this information that I know, and then I would... Uh, uh, condition my heart to walk in that, to value that, that it would affect every decision that I make. So that's what worshiping God in spirit and truth is. I have truth, 
I pursue truth. Now, we're not talking about your conception of who God is. That is something that's drastically different. There are a lot of times that we, we want to think God is a certain way. We're talking about truth. What, what the Word of God says about God, who He is, uh, what, what we see even in nature of God's creative power, what we see revealed in Christ. We have truth of God that we have pursued, and then I value that in my heart. Uh, and that is what it means to worship God. So that, that begins, the foundation of worship begins in my own heart, in your own heart. But then there is something that is, is drastically different. There is something that, that we can get from doing this together that we can't get from doing it on our own. There is a different aspect of worship that happens here, in this place, when we gather together. There is something else that we are called to as the church, we can worship on our own, but we're not called to just worship on our own. You see, we're supposed to take what happens in our hearts at home. As last week we talked about, David said uh, that he would conduct the affairs of his house, his own house, with, uh, with a blameless heart. What happens in his house, his, his pursuit of worship, his pursuit of an understanding of God, his pursuit of a value of God in his own home, then is taken from the home to the gathering of the saints to encourage one another on to pursue God. I love that Lynn put that scripture in uh, the worship folder this morning. She had no idea I was going to be talking about this. That was all her, all God, through Lynn. Uh, But that's what the Word of God says, that we are to encourage one another daily, all the more as the day approaches. Encourage one another on to love and good deeds as the day approaches. There is something that happens here it doesn't happen that we don't get when we're doing it by ourselves at home. When we don't get, we, so there's something that happens in the fellowship of the brotherhood of, of, of believers, the, the saved in Christ. There's something that happens here that doesn't happen when I'm just sitting in my car on my own. Now, there's also, I think, some things that happen when you're on your own that we don't necessarily get here. But my point is that there are different aspects of worship that are outlined in the Word of God, and we can't separate them. We need each one of them to have a healthy uh, relationship with God, to have a healthy lifestyle of worship. We need worship when we're on our own to have a healthy lifestyle of worship. We need worship here to have a healthy lifestyle of worship. We need to encourage one another on to love and good deeds and to meet together to continue to do those things. All the more as the day approaches, we encourage one another on because we're going to be facing difficult things. So we need to encourage one another on. Before I get too far ahead of myself and wreck all of my notes here, let's go to uh, our passage, Psalm 95. Starting in verse 1, it says, uh, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving. Let And extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, the great King of all, above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and on the mountain peaks... Uh, And the mountain peace belonged to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did uh, that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestor tested me. They tried me. Uh, Though they had seen what I did, for 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, 
They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath, uh, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So what we see here in Psalm 95 is it is talking about congregational worship. It is talking about the gathering of uh, the people of God for worship. And a lot of these songs, this isn't necessarily one of the songs, but a lot of the psalms that you read were before the psalm, sometimes it will say songs of ascent. And this isn't necessarily one of them, but the point is that these, they, they did these things together. So in some of the songs you will read that before a psalm, and those are psalms that they believed the people of Israel were singing as they walked up the Temple Mountain to worship God. So they were, some of them were kind of a call and response thing. So you could imagine all these people walking up the mountain to go worship God, and they were calling out these things of God, and then another group was responding those things about God. They were encouraging with one another. They were uh, excited, joyous about what they were going to do. They were anticipating what was ahead in their worship of God. But we see that all through the Psalms as we read here. It simply says, come let us sing. Come let us sing. Come let us. Come let us. This isn't one person. He's not talking about one person here. He's saying, come let us, the people who know God, the people that are possessed by God, the people who are saved in Christ, let us come together and sing. Uh, so th- we see two statements kind of here in, in Psalm 95. And the first one we're going to talk about here is uh, just verses 1 and 2. It says, Come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Uh, so again, the worship we're talking about here is congregation. It is the gathering of God's people. Come let us sing. Let us come before him. Uh, so again, it is, is absolutely essential to the Christian walk, to what we do as worshipers, that we would worship together. That when we come together, we would value what we are doing in this place. It wouldn't just be a matter of uh, just going through the motions, but it would be something that we anticipate when we wake up in the morning, or even Saturday night or Friday night, or we're looking forward to it through the week, the anticipation of the gathering of the saints, the gathering of the people that are saved in the blood of Christ, that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that we are excited about that moment. I can't remember what psalm it is, but he said, uh, I rejoiced when they said with me to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And that absolutely based on what Christ has done in us, the mercy we have received and seeing that he has given the same mercy to others, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, there should be an excitement in our hearts to approach God together. That should be something that we look forward to. Uh, so uh, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So the exact meaning, he says, psalms, hymns, and uh, songs from the Spirit. Some translations just say psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That is, it's debated what those actually mean. Each individual one of those, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, it, there's a debate about what exactly they mean. But the point of them all is let us come together and sing songs that reveal the truth of the God that we worship. Every one of them, whether no matter, it's, it's debated what each specific one means, But it's not debated that it means let us come together and sing the truths of God. It's not debated. You understand that that is not something that is negotiable 
uh, as Christians, we have to remember uh, well, let me say it this way. There, there's a book written by uh, Keith and Kristen Getty. Some of you may know them. They're, they're uh, uh, pretty popular in, in uh, worship music. They've written a lot of songs and, and uh, very, very good songs. But they wrote a book on, on singing to God, and, and they said this. Repeatedly throughout the Scripture, we are commanded to be a singing people. There are more than 400 references, more than 400 references to singing in the Bible and at least 50 direct commands. We are not to disregard the command because we don't like the music or the personnel or are not in the mood. The command in in Psalm 149.1 contains no caveats or conditions. It should go without saying that the leadership of a church should be facilitating congregational singing so that we can all honor the Lord uh, in this together. So 400 in, in the Word of God, we have 400 references to singing and at least 50 commands. 50 commands to sing. Not one time does it say you've got to be good at singing. It never says that. You see, because God doesn't care about that. He doesn't look at things the way that I look at them. He doesn't hear your singing the way the person beside you hears your singing. Thankfully, right? But, but seriously, the Word of God commands us to sing. Now this, this may seem like, seem like kind of an irrelevant topic. It's not. You understand when I, I can still... To this day, um, thinking back to my childhood, I can hear individual voices of people as they sang the songs, the truths of God. I can hear that today. What we do here is significant. We can play it off like it's not a big deal. We're just talking about singing here. Oh, we're talking about being founded together in the truths of God and expressing that from our hearts. We're talking about having the joy of the Lord, the, 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 the love of God, the mercy of God, so rooted in us and growing in us that it overflows out of us in thanksgiving together. And that encourages other people. You see, we can pass these things off as, well, I'm not, I'm not a singer. I don't like to sing. Or I don't like this music or that music. It's easy to do that. It's the Word of God calls us to something different. And when it's a command written in the Word of God, then it is significant, whether I think so or not. Whether I think singing is something that is valuable or not, the Word of God says to sing together. That we should lift up our voices together in the truths of God. But it is very, very dangerous then when we decide that we don't want to participate in singing together, as they said, uh, uh, the Gettys in their book, because I don't like the music. And this stuff happens. I'm not going to sing because I don't like that style of music. It doesn't matter if we like it. If it's proclaiming the truth of God and the congregation is fellowshipping together in it, I can draw back my personal desires and lift up my voice in that truth together with my brothers and sisters in Christ because it's not about me. That's the root of what we're saying here in worship. 
whether it's singing, whatever aspect of worship we're talking about, it's not about me. It's not about how I feel. It's not about what I want. It's about us participating together in the truths of God and worshiping Him together. This is very, very dangerous for us to say, I'm not going to participate because I don't like that kind of music. And you understand that happens from both sides. A lot of times, uh, you know, we'll talk about uh, how uh, sometimes we've, we've heard these debates, the older generations don't like newer music. A lot of times we only look at it from that aspect. A lot of times younger people don't want to participate because they don't like hymns. So it goes both ways. Older generations, the, the newer stuff speaks. If it's true, if the words, because stuff contains in, contained in the words is true, it is speaking to the hearts of younger people, whether you like it or not. Younger people, the hymns that you don't like, they were foundational to the walk of older generations. They have carried the truths that they have sung for years, have carried them through the storms of life. So it's valuable whether you like it or not. The point is, is the truth of God contained in it, and will we rally around that and lift it up together? You understand, too, we're, we're not talking about, when I'm saying that, I'm not saying, well, you don't like this music, so just get over it. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I am saying is there is freedom in valuing the fellowship of believers in the truth of God, whether I love that specific type of it or not. There is value in uh, pulling together and being rooted in the truth, whatever form it takes on. And that is the priority. That's what we're saying. There is freedom in that. When I can uh, set aside my personal desires to value the truth of God as the foundation of what we are doing as the body. There is freedom in that. That's what we're saying. We're not saying just get over it. We're saying step into the freedom that God wants to give you as we rally around his truth. Uh, so it, the, there, it's, it's very, very dangerous when we just simply uh, say, I don't want to participate because of the style of music. It's also very dangerous when we say, I don't want to participate because of the people. I don't like the people leading. And I'm not saying that because anyone said that. I'm saying that because I've been in a lot of places. I've led worship in a lot of places. I've been to a lot of different churches with a lot of different people. I know a lot of pastors. You know, I have heard stories of people didn't like the pastors, so they showed up on the Sunday morning with a newspaper. That actually happens. That's not an exaggeration. That happens. That's, I've heard that more than one time. Listen, what we are saying here is that the church of God is not about personality differences. You might not, if the, the person you're, you're thinking of, it might, their personality might not be the perfect match to get along with you and be best friends. That might not be the case. But the point is that God tells us to honor others above ourselves. Honor one another above ourselves. That means that even if I, if the person irritates me, I'm still to honor them.
So it's very dangerous if we choose not to participate because uh, we don't like the people leading. Though everybody here loves all the people that are leading. I know. Uh, It's very dangerous when we choose not to participate because we're tired or weary. Um, understand what we're saying here is, is it, read the first couple of verses, but let's go on for a moment. In verses 3 and 4, it says, it, he said, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. And then verse 2, let us come before him with thanksgiving. And then 3, verse 3 through 5, it tells us why. It says, for the Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his. For he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. For the Lord is a great God, the King above all gods. That is why we worship. That is why I can allow my personal preferences to be set aside, because the Lord is a great God. He is the King above all gods. He is the one. Everything in creation is his. He's spoken into existence. He thought it in his mind and sustains it by his power. Right now as we sit here, the earth, everything that, that is, is finely tuned for our universe to function is held together by His hand alone. And because of that, I can worship Him. Now a God that is that great, I can sacrifice for. So when I am tired or weary, I can still find something in me that recognizes the greatness of God and I can... Uh, Express that from my heart. What I am saying is, I know I've said this multiple times, but you're probably going to hear me say this over and over. Because at least for me, it's a significant point. Whether it is for anybody else or not, for me it is. Uh, David had taken a census and he was not supposed to. So he had gone to, to get all of the things that he needed to sacrifice to God to atone for that. And uh, so he goes to... Uh, you know, the place to get all the things that he needed to build an altar to get the animals, all those things. And David goes to, uh, David was king at the time, and he goes to the guy and, and, and he says, well, you're the king, take whatever you need, just take it. And David said, I will not sacrifice to God anything that costs me nothing. I won't lay anything before God that costs me nothing. Now that wasn't a statement that was based on how he felt. It wasn't a statement based on if he was tired. It wasn't a statement based on whether he liked the form of worship or how it was all happening. It was, I'm going to worship God and I'm going to offer something that costs me. When we worship God, whether it is together, which is what we're talking about today, or on your own, it should cost us something. It shouldn't be just what is left over then we offer it to God. It should be something that we are searching our hearts constantly to determine what I can lay before God that is truly a sacrifice. Now I think there, there are times where we need to uh, truly and honestly evaluate our hearts before God. This is one of the things that I think is is one of the uh, 
most serious deficiencies, I guess, in the Christian walk is that I'm not sure we ever spend a lot of time truly evaluating, truly spending time thinking about our hearts and where we stand before God. I think we have to honestly look at ourselves and look at the, the, the aspects of worship, look at, at what God asks of us, look at God's Word and see what He reveals about Himself and asking myself, if what I am offering to God, is it truly something that costs me? Or is it something that I offer what is left over? Is it something that I offer that is second best? It is something that I offer that isn't as good as it could be because I want to keep the best for myself. A lot of times we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't ever think that about our sacrifice. We would, but you have to be honest with yourself. To be able to do this, to be able to walk with God, you have to be honest with yourself. I think it was Wednesday night we talked about uh, uh, prayer, but uh, it was one of the quotes I used, but it talked about uh, how we should be merciless to the flesh. How I should be merciless to my fret, flesh. That I should look at the things in my flesh and have no mercy for it whatsoever because I want to walk in the Spirit of God, not in my flesh. And that is, the, that, that is the way that we should evaluate ourselves. We should have no mercy on ourselves when we evaluate our hearts before God. We should have nothing. There should be no affections for our own human desires or our own human nature. There should be nothing. We should have a disdain for anything in our own human nature because that separates us from God. And when I look on, I have no value for that anymore. There is nothing in that. There is nothing in my natural self that I want to have any affection for. And you see, when we get to that point through the Spirit of God where we can look on our flesh as the thing that wants to destroy us through Satan rather than wanting to make allowances for the flesh or to have mercy for our flesh, when we get to that point then, it is easy when the Spirit of God comes along and says, hey, this part of you is keeping you at a distance from God. You need to deal with that. It is a lot easier for us to make the necessary changes. Because we understand then that my flesh, my own human nature desires to destroy me. It is a hindrance, it is bondage, it is slavery. But the Spirit of God points those things out to give me freedom, to make me who He created me to be, to make me who He wants me to be. And in that, then I live a life that is fulfilling in Him. That's the only way that I will experience that life. But we have to recognize and be merciless to our flesh. To be people that would leave no allowance for the flesh. Have no affections for our flesh. I want it gone in the Spirit of Christ. To be conformed to His image. Um, but we were talking about singing. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Oh, come, let us sing. The King James Version says, says it this way. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And you understand that this, this the words used here, the, the Hebrew words used here for singing and, and aloud, that, that uh, King James says, make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation, or... NIV, let us shout aloud. Those, the words used there, this isn't just some timid uh, 
thing, some, some, something where we come together and, and just in a timid way we offer our voices to God. This is something that is bold and confident. This is contrary to what a lot of people want to hear. This is something that's allowed. It actually says that. But the word, the word used for allowed or noise there, uh, one of the definitions is to split the ear with sound. Shout for alarm or joy. Blow an alarm. Some of the biblical usage of this Hebrew, Hebrew word are when they would shout a war cry or shout for triumph or shout for joy. So what we are saying is that this should be something that with full confidence the church comes together, singing the truths of God, building ourselves on that foundation. They overflow out of us in a way that would be like a war cry, something that is shouting for joy, something that is loud. Something that is confident. And again, it doesn't, you can be loud and not be a good singer. You're probably better at that if you're not a good singer. But what we are saying is there, there, should, be, there should be something that comes up within the heart of believers and it just flows out of us. And it's not directed at the people around us. That's the amazing thing about it. It doesn't matter what somebody thinks of my voice. It doesn't matter. Because my voice is being directed to God, and when he sees and hears my voice, he hears the disposition of my heart. And that is beauty to him. If it is aimed at his glory, if my heart is aimed at his glory, that's what he hears in his believers lifting up their voices together. And that is sweeter music than anything that we could create on this earth to God. Um, so the first call then in Psalm 95 was, Come, let us worship God joyfully with thankful hearts. And he goes on in verse 6. He says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And uh, the Hebrew word for worship is shaka. It means to depress or prostrate. Uh, in homage to royalty or God, to bow down, to crouch, to fall down flat, to humbly beseech. Uh, and then the word kneel means by implication to bless God as an act of adoration. Uh, so we understand that there are significant, there is significance in these acts of expression before God. There is significance in actually getting on our knees sometimes. There is significance in prostrating ourselves. Now that, that word can mean literally or figuratively, meaning figuratively that my spirit, my heart would be prostrated before God. That means that I would bow everything within me before him to honor him. That would mean that when my wants, my needs, everything that I am would be bowed before him. And I would offer it to him. Now that would be the figurative approach. But this also means sometimes literally. Now we see that uh, through the word of God. We see in Numbers 20, Moses and Aaron fell face down before the Lord. And the Lord's glory overwhelmed them. Ezekiel 11:13 to 14, Ezekiel fell face down in grief, crying out to the Lord, and the Lord answered him. Revelation 1.17 says this, uh, when I, meaning John, when I uh, saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He was talking about Christ, as, uh, seeing Christ. 
I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Revelation 4, 9 through 10 says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. So what what are you saying? There is uh, Number one, we see not just these verses, but all through the word of God, you can find the people of God kneeling or prostrating themselves before God uh, as a literal statement or a literal act, not just figuratively, but they literally fell before God because they were overwhelmed by his glory, who he is. Uh, but, but then we see uh, specifically in, in Revelation 4, it talks about the 24 elders that, uh, who sits on the throne and worship him. Uh, they fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him, uh, and they laid their crowns before him. So the elders are before the throne of God, and when they worship him, they would fall on their knees before him and take off their crowns and lay them before God. And what that is saying is, number one, they are kneeling before God in adoration. They are overwhelmed by the greatness of who he is, and their first response is to kneel before him. And the second thing is when they take their, crown, their crowns, this, the crown what symbolizes glory and honor and accomplishment, triumph, all of those kind of things that a crown would denote, power, all of those things. And when they kneel before him, overwhelmed by his greatness, their first response then is to take all of their glory and triumph and honor all of those things and throw it on the ground before God. Because in that moment, they are acknowledging that everything that I have comes from you. All of my honor, all of my triumph, everything that I have, all, all of my power, every, every, uh, all my intelligence, whatever it is, Everything that I have comes from you. The only reason that I have a crown in the first place is because of you. So all of my accomplishments I will lay on the ground before you as an offering. But there is something significant in the act of bowing ourselves before God. We have to understand that as the church. Now I understand sometimes we're not physically able to actually kneel before God. There is nothing wrong with that. God's not disappointed in that. Uh, whatever you can do, physically you do. You know in your heart if it is a sacrifice. But I am telling you as the people of God that there is something valuable in you getting to a place where you can actually kneel before God. Because you understand that there, we can do this. We, we know, we, we come together as the church and we talk about who God is and the greatness of who He is, His holiness, uh, how how all-powerful He is, all of these attributes we talk about with God. But you understand, sometimes as simply as somebody lifting up their hands in worship can make people uncomfortable. Everybody behind them sees it and people start getting uncomfortable about it. Could you imagine sometime if somebody just in the middle of service got down on their knees because they were overwhelmed by the glory of God? How uncomfortable sometimes that would make people feel. Now some people, it wouldn't bother them one bit. I told you before about a newspaper incident. I also know of an incident where somebody turned around and told somebody not to say amen because it made them feel uncomfortable. That stuff happens. You see, there is a time, or there, there is, uh, in the lives of some people, no matter how many times they have heard the truths of God, it still makes them uncomfortable to actually approach God in that. 
even in prayer. I don't remember if I said it on Sunday morning or if I said it on Wednesday night. But uh, uh, in, in Brookville, it is so hard to get stuff done in your office sometimes because there are so many distractions. Uh, especially in my office in Brookville, there was music equipment. I, I had a path to my chair, and that was about it. Uh, so I would go uh, from one side of the building to the other side of the building to uh, the little kids' classrooms and sit at a table that was about this tall sometimes to, to study and pray, and one of those little like red plastic chairs. Um, but I would have to walk through the sanctuary to do that. That was the shortest route anyway. I guess I could have went the other way, but either way. I would walk through the sanctuary, and, and being a worship pastor, as soon as I entered the door, I could literally sometimes feel something in my heart pulling me. You know, you know, this needs done over here. You know, you need to do this on the stage. You need to clean this up, or you got to get this stuff ready. When you're going to study or going to pray, you can sometimes literally feel something pulling at your heart to do something else. Because Satan understands how significant it is when we are bowed before God. And what I'm saying is sometimes as the church, we have to push past the point where we feel uncomfortable about something because we've never been there. And some of you, again, this might be an elementary thing because it doesn't bother you one bit. Maybe you do get on your knees. Maybe you prostrate yourself before God, and that's, that's great. But I can guarantee you there are people that would feel uncomfortable about those kind of things. Whether it's here or somewhere else, there are Christians who would feel uncomfortable about those kind of things. We have to push past that. Because there is something God does when a heart can get beyond, beyond its own pride and bow itself before Him. I am telling you that I think it is very, very significant that we actually get on our knees if we can before God. So for whatever that's worth today, I know I keep hammering on that point, but I think that is very, very significant. We have to get to the point where we're able to do those things because the Word of God says we should do those things. Um, this is the last thing I'll say. He said, come let us worship, let us bow down and worship, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. In verse 7 he says, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture the flock under his care. Why are we doing this? Why do I kneel myself before him? Because we are his sheep. And he is the shepherd. The Bible says Jesus is the good shepherd. His sheep hear his voice. We do this because the creator of the universe, the one who, who, who calms the seas, the one whose, whose hand holds together uh, the, the universe, everything around us created by his word and conceived in his mind, all of this, he would look on us and see us as his sheep, uh, the flock under his care, meaning that he is the one who sustains us, provides for us, gives us shelter. What happened when a sheep would get hurt? The shepherd would heal it. He would mend its wounds. He would lead it to the pastures. Psalm 23 says, uh, says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. That is why we worship. Because we have a God 
who would give us green pastures to lay in. He would lead us by quiet waters. He would refresh our souls. He would guide me along the right paths for his name's sake. And as we close today, uh, the worship team is going to come up. Um, None of this is about a physical act. You see, there are times where a physical act, we can perform a physical act, and it means nothing before God. Every bit of this is about your heart. Every every single thing that we have talked about in worship is about the disposition of your heart. I know I keep saying that, but it's true. Everything. Every single thing. Prayer, worship, singing together. All of these things is about the disposition of your heart. But there is also something significant when we are able to kneel before Him, to lay ourselves before Him. There is something significant when the body of believers can come together and push past being uncomfortable because I don't sing very well. Or I don't like these songs. Or whatever it is. We push past those feelings of our flesh. And again, as I said, being merciless to our flesh. And our flesh tells us, don't do that. Because it makes you feel a little weird. And we push past that. And we push past that into the freedom that God has for us as His people. See, singing, what we're talking about here, singing, approaching God in worship, this isn't a small thing. This is significant. It's very, very significant that we would lift our voices up together and proclaim the truths of God. You understand, too, that uh, it's not something that's going to end as the people of God. What do you think we're going to be doing when we get to heaven? We're going to be singing to God. We're going to be singing together to God. We're going to be bowing before Him. We are preparing ourselves also for the moment where we meet Him. A.W. Tozer said uh, something along the lines of, uh, you can be sure if somebody doesn't enjoy worship here, They're never prepared for heaven. They're never going to enjoy heaven. So today, maybe you think singing is insignificant. Maybe you think kneeling before Him is insignificant. Maybe you think that's something that's not really expected of us. That's fine. I can't convince you anything different. All I know is the Word of God says it. The Word of God says we should do it boldly and confidently. We should do it loudly. So you need to think about it. You need to think about what God is asking of you. That you would offer Him something then in worship that is truly a sacrifice that isn't based on your comfort. God, we love You today. We worship You. Father, we desire to bow our hearts before You, to prostrate ourselves before You, to lift up our hearts and our minds to You, to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated. Father, help us to be people that wouldn't base everything on how we feel, that wouldn't be based on our comfort. Father, help us to value the things that Your Word says that we should do as your people. Help us to value singing not just simply as an act of singing,
but as something that uh, as an act of worship transcends this earth when your people come together, bound together in the blood of your Son, proclaiming your truths through song. Help us to value what it means when we would kneel before you, when we would prostrate ourselves before you. Help us to have a value for those things. Father, we love you today. It's your name we pray. Amen.